Good evening, everybody. I am so excited to come to you all with my 77th episode tonight. It is Manifesting with Meg, and I have an extraordinary guest tonight, Dr. Judy Rabinor. She is the author of The Girl in the Red Boots, and I can't wait to introduce you to both her book as well as to this extraordinary woman. I'd like to remind everyone that this is September, the month of sweet inspiration, a September to remember, and we still have a couple more weeks left, so let's do this. And without further ado, I want to remind everybody, this is a, a show about transforming dreams, inspiration, true happiness, discovering bliss, and it's time to manifest the life of our dreams. So happy to share this show with a fellow She Writes Press sister. Remember, we're here to manifest amazing. You're just steps away from living the life you desire. Time to wake up to a universe packed with possibility. Before we begin, welcome Dr. Judy. I can't wait to share with what I read with everyone who's gonna pop in tonight and who's gonna be on the podcast as well as the YouTube. It's a wonderful, wonderful book and I encourage everyone to go grab one today. We do in fact set our intentions and we pick a magical number at the outset. At the end of the show, I'm gonna come back and ask you what that intention was and what magical number you picked and we'll talk about what it is. This, this actual show is based upon my first book, The Magical Guide to Bliss. It is a book of daily insights and that unlock your spirit, dreams, and inner bliss. And away we go. I think there's magic in 77. I think there's magic in the full moon. And I know wonderful things are about to happen. And I'm always looking for the something wonderful. So welcome, Dr. Judy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you, Meg. I'm so excited about being here with you because your books are so inspiring, as are you. Oh, thank you. You are so a much. bundle of energy and inspiration, <laughs> and you make me smile. And that's what I want in my life. I, I like to say that karma is a mirror. I've been saying that quite often. So clearly, I see the same in you. And I can't believe I have the opportunity to meet with the famous Dr. Judy. Now, before I go on, I do want to introduce you all to this well-educated, well-accomplished woman. She is a clinical psychologist, a psychotherapist, author, speaker, writing coach, and a consultant based in Manhattan's Upper, Upper West Side, sorry. She, I let, you know, I had to write this, I had to include this in this because you keep saying, or you say in your bio, people come to your office when they have run out of steam and feel lost and isolated. What heals all of us is de developing deeper connections to ourselves, others, and the universe. And I really find that to be so incredibly true, especially now when we're coming out of a period of clear isolation. The connections are what's gonna save us. Her new book, the Girl in the Red Boots, Making Peace with My Mother, was published on May 4th, 2021, to great acclaim. She's a longtime expert in treating eating and body image disorders, and she wrote a book, and her approach is in a starving madness, tales of hunger, hope, and healing. That was in 2002. She'll tell us more about that as well. She specializes in working with divorcing and remarried couples. She says divorce ends a fam a marriage, not a family, is your philosophy based upon your personal experience after you co-parented after divorce. And that is a book called Befriending Your Ex After Divorce, Making Life Better for You, Your Kids, and Yes, Your Ex, which is definitely a plus. Everyone is happier. Oh, and whether you're working with troubled individuals, couples, groups, or family, your goal is to help people become 
I'm sorry, bring vitality and aliveness into their lives. And you know, you and I have that absolutely in common. We come alive to our world, to our beauty of our dreams, then the, the world is a better place for everyone who crosses your path. You have blogged for the Huffington Post and Psychology Today. You're a consultant with Renfrew Center Foundation. You're a supervisor at the Center for the Study of Anorexia and Bulimia, and you are a well sought out presenter, workshop leader, media expert. You were on Oprah and you were on Sally, Jesse, Raphael. So we do have a celebrity in the house. Yes, Manifesting with Meg is bringing the celebs today. And well, there you go. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you together. We get to talk about our mothers, which I love. The month of September is the month my mother was in fact born as well, September 27th. And also it's the book month. I mean, the book birth of my book baby so I get to you know have the conversation with you so wow what needs to be said you're an inspiration my god and accomplished at that and I'm not even gonna tell anyone in your short years clearly you know what you've done is just amazing and you know I don't know why you want to add to that please do I would love to hear your initial thoughts on what I just read about you <laughs> well I think that none of us know who we're gonna become hmm. You know, I had no idea when I graduated college what I would do when I graduated college. I thought it was, I was going to be a teacher because that's what girls did. Girls had two choices, three choices, be a teacher, be a nurse, or be a secretary. And the world has transformed itself. And that's one of my favorite words, transforming. And that's in sync with your concept of manifesting, that we just don't know what it is we're going to manifest. We don't know how we're going to transform our lives. We don't know how things are going to be. And that's what makes life exciting. Let to me be ask you, what do you, what do you consider the definition of transformation for you? What does that mean to you? It's such a big word, you know, uh, transformation really means grow. It means keeping gr on growing. And like one thing I feel about being a psychologist, is that my profession, but that's just my profession. I could be a gardener. Being <laughs> yeah. a gardener gives you an opportunity to be totally involved in growth. And I'm also a tiny gardener, not really a real gardener, but I have some, I have some plants on my front porch. Um, but I love my plants. And, you know, I had a funny experience. I had a plant that my daughter gave me as a Mother's Day present and I just adored it. And then we had this horrible rainstorm and this plant was almost dead. And I nurtured this plant. I pulled off all the dead branches, all the dead leaves, all the dead buds. I watered it, I put it in the sun, I took it in the house when it got too cold and now it's flourishing. So to me, that's uh, just a metaphor for how you can be almost dead and you can be revived and transformation is about revival yes. and it's about being nourished i love it both those words are fantastic you know one of the things that i base my shows on as well is the uh the insight that falls on the day that i interview my guests and today's insight um is when you need inspiration be grateful and it will come and i think that with the growth and revitalization when we're looking for that if we be great uh, if we are grateful for what's happened in the past as far as what has become what we have become from what we have planted right with those seeds right. we've already planted then 
more beautiful things can come from that. I think that when we, you know, after you plant the things and you go back and reanalyze it, you dig around it and you pull the seeds up, you know, I don't like this one, I don't like that one. Nothing can grow because you don't give it a chance to, to be nourished and like you said, to be planted and to, to form deep roots. And one of the quotes that I use today um, is from Meister Eckhart. He's a German theologian, also philosopher and mystic. If the only prayer you ever say in your life is thank you, that will be enough. And I think that especially if we're looking at our lives through that critical judgmental eye that a lot of us, our type A personalities bring to the fore, it's really hard to see anything good. But when we actually stand back and are thankful or say thank you to ourselves, to others, etc., then there's gained wisdom and strength there. I certainly think that from that place, things can start to renew and revitalize and regrow and transform like you're saying. You know, I was saying this, uh, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is that I've got a lot of wonderful things that have happened in my past, but also a ton of missteps as well, or the quote unquote failures, right? The failures we learn the most from, unfortunately, you know, it feels bad, but we learn the most. But when you take that moment each day to look up to the heavens and be grateful for all of it, the failures and the accomplishments, then, you know, there's so much of our journey that we can actually, you know, play with and, and be open to more possibilities instead of beating ourselves down and quashing whatever future we have because we beat ourselves up what happened in the past. So I would love to know what your thoughts are on that, the whole idea of gratitude and thankfulness and certainly coming from the grateful daughter like you put at the end of your book. Oh my goodness. You know, in the Jewish religion, there's a prayer. It's called Moda, Mode Ani. And it's you're supposed to wake up in the morning and thank whoever you believe, whether it's God, whether it's spirituality, for bringing you to another day. Okay. And if you do that, and if you really understand that all over the world, there are people who are not waking up, and I'm not even talking about psychological waking up, I'm talking about biologically, yeah. that our lives are gifts. And even when we feel like our life is just filled with failure and mistakes, you know, I love many of the expressions that you use in your writing, Meg. Mistakes are always opportunities. They're opportunities to stop, to pause, and to think about what brought you on that path and where do you want to go now? That's the crux of being alive. Where do I want to go today? Where do I want to go today? And, you know, I do believe that opportunities exist all the time i think that you know i love how you say you know we're both alive today there's still that <laughs> you know it's still that there's still like looking out the window and saying playing with whatever wonderful things can come to fore um i do want to i do want to go back to you know your book the girl in the red boots and and i do want to focus on the beauty of your vulnerability with the story as well as the telling of the story you did such an eloquent job bringing in your experience as a therapist as well as your experience doing your own reflection while dealing with other or helping other people you know what inspired you like this is a beautiful book it's the i, I have to show everybody the beautiful cover too because it's this beautiful child running is that you is that actually a picture of you i've always wanted no, to it's actually not a picture of me let's thank you brooke warner and your team yeah. for creating this beautiful cover. I love this cover. I love it. It's beautiful. So what were you thinking when you actually 
used the title and you know decided to go with that as your lead all right so um you know i wrote this book because for many years unlike your story meg where your mother where you um embraced how her love was sustaining to you in the most profound ways i was very angry at my mother mm. and i was angry at her and i'm not going to give it all away so some people will read the book and they'll find out why because some things happened that she didn't make such good decisions when i was young and i carried those wounds those scars those traumas and they i knew that you know i knew that my mother truly loved me and i knew that i loved her and in the first chapter of the book i tell one of the disappointing stories how my mother betrayed and deceived me in a way that was very hurtful but by the end of that chapter i say my mother really wasn't all bad and here's a story my mother used to love to tell about me and she would tell this story and it would give her such glee to talk about how she i nagged her to death to get a pair of boots and she took me to a store when i was 4 years old and i ran out of the store and i splashed in the puddles and that night she could hardly get them off me to put me to bed the next morning she wakes up where's she she can find me anywhere she looks outside there i am in my red boots riding my red tricycle and i'm completely naked <laughs> i love it that's awesome <laughs> And the way my mother told this story was such a gift. She endorsed my energy, my adventurousness. I was never punished. I was not shamed for running outside naked and believe me, you were not supposed to do that then or now. Right. You're not supposed to. And my mother just thought that I was adorable and that I had so much energy. And when I started writing this book, um now I teach writing and I encourage people to write what I call a collage memoir. Take a memory and open it up. Write about it. Write about what moves you. And eventually I sat down on the floor of my living room with all these piles of stories and I had to put them together in a book and that was truly hard. Putting them together. But um but in the beginning she both did some things that were hurtful and she did some things that were so wonderful and were really such blessings and that propelled my growth and that leads me to tell you one of the main messages of my book and that is love is imperfect ah yes love is imperfect that i'm waiting for my children to write their memoir because Right now I'm in good graces with both of them. They're both grown up. They're both in their 40s. They both have families and children of their own and I get along great with them. But every stage of life has difficulties. That is just how life is. Yeah. Every stage of life has ruptures. Um so anyway, I started writing this book because I was angry, but as I wrote the book I I kept thinking about different things and suddenly the strengths and the blessings that my mother bestowed upon me mm. came into a different focus. And by the end of the book 
that's what I write about, how we all have the power to change our story. You can hold on to the bad stories, or you can hold on to the good stories. That is your choice. And I love the word choice, and people feel they don't have a choice. They have to think of the bad thing that's really bothering them, but that's not true. That's I, my philosophy. So, so this show, you know, is wonderful that we get to talk about your book, but I am an author stalker. I will be honest. I am amazed and enamored by the stories of the authors behind the words in the book. And I'll tell you one of my favorite things to do, and, and you'll ask my book club this, I do it all the time is I'll come with a well-researched dissertation as to the author herself and why I love her so the book becomes even better or why I don't like them and it becomes worse, right? But there always is a reason behind the words and obviously with memoir, it's yours. But I have to tell you, I ask my guests to bring me some quotations that they like to inspire themselves with. And this is one of yours. Well-behaved women rarely make history. And I have an inclination that your beautiful mother must have actually pl uh, planted the growth seeds of this into your life so that you can actually embrace this. Now, what are your thoughts on this quote? Well, my thoughts are that my mother looked like she was a well-behaved woman. And I, she looked like she was a well-behaved woman and she told lots of stories that she and her friend would wallpaper the house and I wrote very condescendingly about growing up with my mother being obsessed with making jello molds and the different colors and the fruit in them and I tell a story in the middle of the book that I was reading the diary of Anne Frank and I was horrified learn what went on only you know years before I was reading the book and my mother seemed more interested in her jello molds than in the story of Anne Frank and the story of the Nazis that really bothered me a lot but I did not know that unbeknownst to me my mother had a secret longing and when my mother was 55 and was widowed twice she turned to me and she said, you know what I'm going to do? I said, what? She said, I think I'm going to go back to college. You know, I don't even think I wrote this in the book, but my mother went to Fordham University and that's where I was getting my PhD. Was she and at the so, same time? Was she at, at Fordham at the same time? Or at no? the same time, awesome. she and I were in the cafeteria and there was my mother who was in her late fifties wow. getting her bachelor's and she was making new friends of, you know, all kinds of other adult women who were going back to school, but they weren't all as old as she was. They were in their thirties, their forties. And there was I getting my PhD and we would introduce each other to each other's friends. But my mother was kind of a victim of her, of time. We are all a victim of the era we grow up in. And one of the most important lines I wrote in this book my mother was born in 1918. That was one year before women got the right to vote. Right and there. when I wrote that line, I never thought about what it would mean to be born in another era where women had no rights and women had to behave. Women had to behave. Women were at risk for losing their home, their children, right? Totally. They, they were not lawyers and psychologists like no. we are today. And Meg, you know, another thing that I realized 
when I got my first credit card, I was married. My husband was a law student. My husband at that time, my first husband, he was a law student. I was a teacher. And the credit card said Mrs. Arnold Rabinard because women could not get credit cards in their own name, even if they were the breadwinner. I was the breadwinner. You can hear, it still makes me angry. Yeah. And think about this saying, well-behaved women. I loved being a feminist. I loved marching for the things I believed in. I loved standing up and say, no, thank you. I don't have to sit in the back of the room. Well, let me tell you, it is on the shoulders of giants like yourself where we can have, and our children who will never know that unless we remind them of that, that back in when you literally started, you couldn't get a credit card without your husband's name on it. I mean- Without my husband's name. It wasn't like it was his money, which was yeah. another story, right? <laughs> exactly. It, it's, you know, it's baffling and, and I love it. I, this one keeps going. I mean, you have some great one. This is a beautiful, and I do want to say that, you know, one of the things that I love in this particular image of you is reclaim your joy, reclaim your joy. What does that mean to you? I had to, I found it. I was like, change your story, change your life, building better relationships. That seems to be what you have always been about since you began therapy many years ago when you started your your actual career tell me what this is all about well what this was all about is i never understood how exciting it could be to find work that is meaningful to you wow and i think as i've heard you say in this program and other programs if you love your work you never work yeah if you love your work you never work and being a therapist is really being a lifelong learner because every day I learn from the people who sit with me, they come in with a problem and they have whatever the problem is, but they also have incredible strengths. Mm. And that's one of my focuses. I love it. A question I love to ask people is, tell me what it took for you to come here today. Because for many people, I'm the first therapist and it's a big deal to go to your first therapist. Yeah. And it means even if you think your life is falling apart and you've made a mistake and you've been a failure, but you still have hope. I love that. Well, you know, one of the things that I was experiencing as I read your book, and I think this is quite beautiful, uh, and this goes to the actual sharing of the stories, is that even by reading someone else's telling, you can have a healing yourself. You can say, okay, I see myself in this person. I find elements of their story that resonate with me. I'm having more gentle compassion for myself because I know that I'm not alone in this world. And I think that that is really something very powerful when you think that you're not the only one and this is gonna pass if it does. I know that your, your mother would say that, you know, or something, you know, this is fine, it's gonna be okay. But the reality is, is by sharing the story with someone else, they have the experience of the healing process as well. And of course, I do have to share this beautiful picture of you with Oprah. Now, as everyone who has watched this show since the very first time, the very first episode, um, I the first episode I had on the show was talking about um, manifesting and intentions. And it was with my good friend, Mari uh, Vino Rodriguez. We were both on stage with Oprah. And then I saw this with you and you not only were on stage with Oprah, you were an expert 
on stage with Oprah. Tell me, and this is not even the big event. I'm not even going to tell everybody about the big, like the big kahuna. You had Sally, Jesse, Raphael invite you on stage too. But tell me about this and how this moment, you know, changed your experience as a therapist. Well, I'll tell you an interesting story. Um, my daughter recently was asked to write a book. So she's 45 and she was approached by somebody who wants her to write a book and her field is women's mental health. So you can imagine how proud I am I, that my daughter I, has gone into the same kind of work amazing. that I so adore and respect. And wow. she has two little kids. And um, I told her that when I went on Oprah, when I finished that program, three agents had called me already. Wow. And they wanted me to sign with them and write a book. And I felt like I couldn't do it then. Mm. It wasn't the right time. Mm. And that was the right decision. I had two kids. I was working a lot. And I felt I could never really pour myself into all the work I knew a book would take. Yeah. So, but, but being on this show, being on Oprah, this was back in the nineties. I mean, it immediately plummeted me to a new level. I was asked to be a keynote everywhere. Um, I loved that. I, I had three supervision groups at that time and oh, I was wow. training people and I do a lot of work with imagery and the book mm -hmm. that I wrote, every section of the book begins with an imagery. And I ask people, to not only listen to my story, but to go into their story, to go into their story. So each section starts with an imagery, like one of them will say, one section starts with, close your eyes and imagine your mother standing at the kitchen sink. That I loved. I'm so glad you're saying this one because I was like, I was like teared up reading it. Keep going, keep going. Imagine she's looking out the window and she's just in a dreamy state the way we are when we wash the dishes. <laughs> what is she thinking about? What in her heart is she really yearning for? What kind of hopes and dreams does she have that she may not have ever shared with you? And that's one of the things that I got to think about in writing this book is I was pushed by various coaches and writing classes and teachers to think about who my mother was. Who was my mother when she got pregnant at 18 and she was not married? What was that day like in her life? And I pushed myself to live it, to think about being that age, to think about realizing I was pregnant at 18 to think about calling up that man, to think about going home and telling my parents. And I won't even say all the decisions that were made. And in fact, I don't know that my mother felt she had a choice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I began to think about my mother in a much deeper way about what she lost from some of the decisions that were made for her and the choices and the way she had to live her life because of the way time was at that time. I, I do want to tell you one of the very profound imagery that came up is, you know, the healing of shame. And, and as I read a lot of your um, passages before the chapters, 
that is certainly something that came up over and over and over again is this yearning for someone to say, I see you and you're special and I'm proud of you. And I think, you know, one of the things that, like I said, I love the quotes because it really gives me some great insight to the person I'm talking to. And this one speaks to me in a great way. You gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face, do the thing you think you cannot do. And that's really a step into your life away from shame, away from fear. Tell me a little bit about how you see this quote. Well, I wasn't sure that as a therapist, I could write this book because, you know, the, the way I was trained back in the seventies was that therapists was supposed to be anonymous. Uh, yeah. They were not supposed to reveal their whole story. And frankly, I now I'm in various schools of therapy where we don't think that anymore, but there still are some very traditional and classical people and they will not tell their patients where they go on vacation. Uh. <laughs> they think that is going to contaminate the treatment and they have their own way of thinking which i'm respectful of i just don't agree yeah yeah so in revealing all of the, the, these personal details um i've kind of crossed a barrier mm. i've said i think that this is helpful and the reason i think it's helpful is because i know that everything i ever told a patient I think it bonded me to them. So I wrote a book about divorce and that line that you gave before, divorce ends a marriage, not a family. Yeah. I love that I wrote that book. And many people who were divorced came to me and they said, I love this. How am I going to still give my kids a family, even though I don't want to be married to the person who is their father? Yeah. I, one of the, you know, it's, it's really kind of wonderful that you honor your truth. I think that that goes back to well-behaved women rarely make history is those that speak their truth, even if their voice shakes, that is the best thing that you can do for the world because we need to hear more voices like you, like yours. And essentially what it sounds to me is like you open up to a sacred space, a place where you're not looking down and, but you're sharing the, the, the energy of the room together. I think owning your own space and owning your own truth opens you up to vitality mm, and, and secrets, secrets keep us in shame. Mm, yeah. You know, when I was in college, Betty Friedan published her most famous book, The Feminine Mystique. Yes. And the first line of that book was, she said, there is a secret in this land. And the secret was the women hated staying home. <laughs> I love that. It doesn't mean you don't love your children. It just means that women didn't really want to be uh, at home, cooking, cleaning, taking care of other people's needs. And they wanted to have a vehicle to express themselves and their own creativity. I love that. You know, I, I think that so much has changed in such a short period of time. It's if you amazing, really think right? that, it's amazing, right? It's amazing. I mean, even the fact that we're on a Zoom right now from New York to, to Miami, I think that that is, you know, who would have thunk, right? Who would have thunk? It is something that I am grateful for at the same time. 
like you just said, it opens up doors to so many opportunities. And this is a beautiful, I love that you're, okay, first of all, I love Eleanor Roosevelt. She is the, like, and that was a time period where, you know, who was running the, the country, but you gain strength, courage, and confidence by every experience in which you really stop, look. And once again, that's the same quote I just put. I'm sorry, I, I was playing with the thing. So hang on a second, we're gonna move forward. No, this I don't mind the, I don't mind that you said it twice because I think that's really important. And I love that you're mentioning her because women were just always in the background and men were running the world and it's and that's the world that we grew up in yeah and that's why i love that you decided to run this program and and gave up being a federal prosecutor i hope everybody <laughs> out there knows i guess you have a lot of followers and they all know that you were a federal prosecutor and that's impressive that was impressive that you said, no, that's not really where I am anymore. I worked for a while, but no thank you now. Well, I, I will say this, and I do appreciate that you did say that. You know, one of the things that I was seeking for for so long is validation, like external validation. And after a certain time, it's just exhausting <laughs> to spend your whole life looking for someone others nod or okay or at a girl. It only lasts for moments anyway. So if I'm living, you know, my life to to please or impress others, I'm just gonna burn out and be just incredibly tired and not really enjoy what I'm doing, which is, you know, kind of and you give your if you give power to other people to say whether or not you're good enough. And and I think at a certain point in time, I was like, I'm looking around myself and I'm like, am I really giving you power <laughs> over, my, over what I choose to believe about myself and, and whether or not, you know, my basis is upon what I perceive that I need to perform or do or say or whatever. That's why I go back. This is actually the quote that my mother had suggested I put in my yearbook when I graduated from high school. And I love that you picked it. It's a fantastic quote. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Eleanor, tell me about this one, Judy. I love it. I love well, it. I want to tell you something about this one. You know, when somebody puts us down, it's very hard not to take it in, even if you know that they were wrong and they're being mean and they're bullying you and they're taunting you, they're teasing you. But it's very hard not to take in those words. And it's really important to be able to wrap yourself in your own beliefs and your own strengths. And it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy. So when did you come to the notion that that was your truth? To shift into that perspective where you could wrap yourself in your own not knowing of yourself? Well, I would say there were little steps all along the way. I remember when I went back to school to get a PhD after I had a master's in English, and then I said, no, I'm gonna switch. And I remember being asked by relatives, what's wrong, don't you have enough? <laughs> and the answer was no, I want more. I want more. It is very hard for women to say, I want more. I want more. Yeah. I, you know, I think that there's, there's... Isn't so grateful. I am I... grateful. I am grateful, but you can be grateful and you can want more and you can well, know you have more to give. How is that not 
cohesive? Like, how is that not cohesive? Like, it, okay, so so I want to experience the world. I want to experience life. I want to suck the marrow, you know, from from the you know the tree of life, right? So why is that a bad thing? I mean, I think the curiosity in and of itself. We come into this world to be in our red boots, to not go to sleep and dance around in them as long as we want, even if we don't want to wear our clothes doing it. I don't think that there's anything. Well, clearly, obviously, we have discretion. But bottom line is, yeah, this is what life's all about, and you got to show up. And this is beautiful because when you show up, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. Oh, don't you love that? Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Read it. Read it, because so everyone can. Okay, I'm going to read it clearly. This is Maya. This is our Maya. People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Please unpack that one, Judy. That's amazing. You know, we bring our presence to everything we do, and. To feel invigorated by life and bring that in, that vigor and that vitality to life, we really touch other people and we make other people mm. feel happy. And it doesn't matter whether it's the cash register at Bed Bath and Beyond, you know, which happens to be right below my apartment in New York, and I go in there all the time, so I know because they sell everything now. It's not just the they sell every single thing you could need. Except for food, and um, <laughs> you know, to bring an aliveness to another person and have them look into your eyes, it makes you alive. It becomes a reciprocal, mutual blessing. Yeah, I, I, you know, and Evelyn is saying also true. Diana is saying great conversation, and I want to add to the point that you just made. You know, in my final promotion. In my uh, um, application, I actually started with this quote, and it's probably very unorthodox to submit a promotion application for the federal government, starting with the Maya Angelou quote. But you know, I had been doing it for so long with inspirations. <laughs> I just figure they should know where I'm coming from, and I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna mince words. People will forget what you said, what you do, I mean, what you did, but will never forget how you made them feel. And for me. Wherever I show up, that's truly in the foremost part of my mind. I want to walk away feeling revived, like revitalized, like you're saying. But it's really what I bring to the. And I imagine you do that all the time when you sit across whatever kind of chair you're in, in your leather plush chair your mother bought you, right? You sit across your client and and you engage them, and you realize how. How powerful that moment in time is because they gave you that moment in time to share their life with you, and I feel the same way in these particular scenarios. When I have this with you, we're like sitting across from the screen together. But I, the moment in time that you're sharing with me and your time and how accomplished and wonderful you are, it makes me feel, you know, special because you chose to say yes to me. So. You know, it's, it chose to invite me, and it becomes a mutually fulfilling、um, experience that's very rich. Yeah. You no, know, you know, I remember reading like a long time ago when I became a therapist. The, first of all, I remember when I was a teacher. 
hearing a professor of mine, his name was Harry Kaplan, and he said, the person who learns the most is the teacher. Ah, yes. And I thought about that a lot, about how that was, that was also very enriching, being a teacher. Yeah. It's very enriching being a therapist. I mean, you learn so much from other people and you learn about yourself and you create a quiet, sacred space where people can really think about and reflect on their lives. Isn't that you know, great we're, though? Yeah, we're living in an age where everybody is talking about mindfulness and meditation. Even before those words came into our everyday vocabulary, we learned as therapists, help people reflect, mm. help people slow down and recognize where they are and be okay with where they are. And if you can be okay with where they are, they can be okay with where they are rather than be ashamed. And so if you've made mistakes, okay, that's life. We make mistakes. I mean, 50% of the people in this country are divorced and they didn't get married thinking they were going to get divorced, right? No, so not when you're gazing lovingly into the other. Uh, uh, that's with the caveat that there's no shotgun. <laughs> Somebody behind you, right? That doesn't really happen, right? I'm right. kidding. Yeah, it might. But yeah, you're right. When you're like, you're, you're hopeful that this person's going to walk the journey with you. You're filled with you know, dreams together. And you wonder, when did the conversation stop? When did the examination stop? I, I believe the sucker. And when did the inspiration die? Yes. You know, oh. and how can you re revive it? But that brings me to another thing that I really want to say, because so I wound up working with mothers and daughters really because I didn't realize that I wanted to figure out my own relationship with my mother. And I had so many young women who were so angry at their mothers for so many reasons, all different reasons. And as I helped them build bridges, I learned a lot about building bridges with my own mother. And so one of the things I learned is that every relationship can be improved. And I think improving one's relationship with their mother is really at the core of having a better life because our relationships with our mothers form a template. The way we were cared for has left profound implications and expectations for how we care for others and how we expect we will should we should be cared for. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I love that. I, I think I love the idea that relationships can always improve. I love that. This is also something amazing that you, you know, you added. And I, and I think it's perfect right after what you just said. No matter how old she may be, sometimes a girl just needs her mom. And, you know, I think for, you know, it's in many ways. And one of the things that came up with to me through your book, um, was how and this is my father says it all the time how important that relationship is a daughter and a mother a child and a mother but mostly a daughter and a mother and we learn how to nurture we learn how to love we learn how right and we also pick them apart <laughs> we destroy them too because they might not rise to the level of what we think is or what we feel and because they're imperfect and because 
when we're born, we're helpless and our whole being is dependent on how whoever the primary caretakers are, we're calling them mothers, it could be a father. It could be a father. Yep. It could be a father. It doesn't have to be a mother, but we're completely helpless. And every we have no way of communicating even. We're at the mercy of whoever our caretaker is. So our mothers are our first lovers and they're also our first heartbreaks. True. They're the first one who say, no, you can't have dessert before you eat your vegetables and you can't go out on your bike because it's 10 o'clock at night. You could get hurt and you can't stay up all night. You No, 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 no. Just think yeah. of like a three-year-old having a temper tantrum. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I will say this when I do tell my children that they can't do certain things. They look, oh, I don't care if you're mad at me, you're gonna have to have something to tell the therapist about when you're on their couch. <laughs> Just like, well, let it be that, right? Give it some dramatic and give it some dramatic flair, like tell how awful I was to you and how, you know, you can make me into this great story of the monster. And then, but I will tell you this, one of the, my favorite things that happened as a result of the examination of my relationship with my mother mm -hmm. was there was a point in time where she had the wherewithal to apologize to me. She apologized to me for everything that she fell short of. Wow. And yeah, That's it was, it, you know, that was truly the beginning of another experience for me and my mom, because at that point I saw her as a human being, not this, you know, perfect, held to a high standard. Yeah. And you wow. know, when, when you see in another, what you wish for yourself, then I got to back down off of myself a little bit more. So, you know, if she's saying, I'm sorry, then I don't have to be that perfect thing that I hold her, you know, to a high standard with. I can show up not necessarily without flaws or anything to that expect in that, you know, which, you know, is was really hard when you, I lost her because at the same time it was like, well, there's that person who will accept me unconditionally and she's gone now. So who's going to do that for me? And I think, you know, one of the beautiful things I find around all the people that you meet on this path is those are the questions that you get to carry with you or the experiences you carry with you. And, you know, back to no matter how old she may be, sometimes a girl just needs her mom. When you finished your book and it was done, you know, what do you think that she would have said? I know people ask me that all the time. I think my mother would be so honored that I thought so deeply that I loved her so much that that even though she said some things that hurt me and did some things that hurt me, I mean, um, that I in the end saw that she was authentic. I'll give one little example because I think this is a great statement about my mom, but I didn't think it was great at the time. So at the, at the time, when I went to my mother and told her I was going to get divorced, she looked at me and she said, why are you getting divorced? Okay, that question made me mad because I had been talking about what was wrong in my marriage for the last five years. I was, he does this, he does this, he does that. He and I guess I repeated some of these things. She said to me, Jude, she said, marriage is difficult and men are impossible. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Don't get divorced. Have an affair. 
love it. <laughs> ahead of her times. Oh, she, she was. was. I thought that is the worst advice you could possibly give. I was 39 years old. I was sure that I would meet somebody who would be more satisfactory. The answer to that story is I did meet somebody, but it took 13 years. Yeah. So 13 years of being a single mother, imagine the book my children will write. Yeah. About, you know, many of the things that went on exactly. I love it. I love Life it. Life is very challenging. So writing the book was very humbling. It made me understand, like, and I even wrote this in the book, that when I got divorced, I got divorced during an era where women liberated by feminism and Betty Friedan and everybody else said, children should not grow up in an unhappy home. If the parents don't love each other, that's going to be terrible for the children. Well, yeah. you know, there are things that are worse than that for the children. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, I was friendly with my ex-husband, which is why I wrote that other book yeah. called Befriending Your Ex After Divorce. And he was not a horrible person, and I he was a good person, and we just couldn't work out our marriage. Yeah. Like the other 50, like the 50% of Americans who don't work out their marriage. Yeah, and, and especially, after uh, especially after oh COVID. Especially after COVID. That's going to be my next book, COVID Marriage. <laughs> I think you should. I think that's awesome. COVID Marriage. This is a challenge, right? It's just a challenge to be living in these times. And I'm sure I know you are a wonderful person and that we know we have much to be grateful for. Much, much, much to be grateful for. So we have no right to complain, right? But still we can complain. Oh yeah. That we can't go here, we can't go there, we can't do this, we can't do that. Right. Yeah. But anyway, um, back to my mother, I, I, writing the book, just when you were talking about how your mother apologized to you, my mother would be honored that I loved her so much that I wanted to write about this and I missed her and I sent you that quote and after my mother died, I realized how much I loved her, I missed her, I relied on her. Yeah. I relied on her as a comforting, imperfect person. And what I think you were saying, and I like so much, is that when we can accept that we love an imperfect mom, or now an imperfect man, then we can accept that we're imperfect also. Yeah, I love that. And that's that just amazing. human, that is just the human plight. We are all important. And you know, the whole notion for me, you know, you know, being, uh, I see myself in the girl in the red boots. Like I like to dance. I would like, I would be rolling around like that. when you I You are a dancing. girl in the red boots. You are a girl in the red boots. <laughs> I'm going to have to borrow your red boots. But you know, the, at the end of the day. You have your own. You don't need I, mine. I have my own. That's right. <laughs> I, you know, actually I wrote in the, and I wrote in the, I wrote in the um, the corner of the, I, I wrote all throughout. I mean, I took notes throughout your book. Obviously, it's oh, something that's so. I'm so touched. I'm it really was, touched. So st stimulating for me to read, and and the reality was, I saw my mother. My mother was a cherry blossom princess back in woof the day, right? And I always wanted to wear her tiara. And I got my own tear. I wear my tears all the time. But the thing about it was, is that we imitate greatness. We really do. The greatness we see, the perfection that we see that we came through into this world, we get to build on their legacy, which you clearly say in your book. 
So with that, one of my favorite things about the show is that I want people who are listening today to embrace the spirit of learning. And instead of following blindly, embrace a path that allow each of us a new perspective, you know, by, by basically embracing perhaps an, our own journey. So what is, what do you think is the one thing that keeps you moving forward on this embrace? Cause no one will ever believe how old you are, but the bottom line is you just suck life. You know, you are ready to live. You're not going to give up another day that you have as a gift. So tell me what is the one thing that moves you forward, publishing three books now, having a successful practice, being a celebrity on all these shows. Tell me. I don't know. <laughs> I attribute it to my parents. I attribute it. I don't know. I mean, this is the big question of psychology, nature versus nurture. Did I get this from my parents? Did I get this from my genes? What did I, what, what really, what is it? What are the vitamins that nurture growth? I mean, we've seen, we've all seen in the same family, you know, one child turns out one way and another turns out another way. I have a brother, by the way, who's very much like me, who's filled with life. Yeah. Filled with life, has done many wonderful things in his life. And we feel very lucky. On the other hand, we know so many people, a brother and a sister or two sisters go in completely different paths. Yeah. 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 Well, so if you can't tell us what moves you forward because we're not going to get there. What are some of the tools that you use to help bring your imagery of your dream, your vision, your, your goals to life? You know, I find other people are, are nurturing and nutrients. Mm -hmm. I find my friendships, my relationships with people I love, my children, my brother, my husband, friends. I love people. And I find I learn a lot from people. And I'm I went on I'm going on another program about toxic relationships. Ah. And you know what you should do with toxic relationships? Avoid them. Avoid, <laughs> avoid people who are draining. Ah, that's good. Avoid people who are draining. But what do we do when people in our life are draining? Because sometimes we have people in our life who are draining. Yeah. And how do we set boundaries how do we yeah really honor the good and leave the rest behind that's a challenge for all of us well i think the cool thing about being a writer is that there's someone draining you need an antagonist in every story so you take them you take the example and you just turn them into a character in another book and they're going to be like that reminds me of <laughs> and the thing is a lot of people who are like that will probably be flattered but you put them in <laughs> Book, I agree. Sure. I agree. So let's go back to the beginning of the show when I asked you to set your intention to uh, be intentional about, you know, your appearance with me tonight. What was your intention today? So my intention was to let everybody in the listening audience really think this is from your book, committing positively to life. And there's a line that I'm going to read. This is your journey one time around. We all get it only once. Take it where you want it to go. Make choices rather than allow choices to be made for you. Choose life. 
choose life. I have the chills when I say this to you. Do I have one more minute to say something? No, go ahead, please. You have, you, and you get the final inspiration. So I, I'm telling you, well, my intention is to learn from you, Judy. So go ahead. Well, my intention is to keep learning. And I read a book this summer by a woman named Eva Eager. E-G-E-R is her last name. And it's called The Choice, Embrace the Positive. And the beginning of the book, she is left for dead in Auschwitz on a pile of bodies. Everybody in this listening audience has seen those horrendous photographs. Mm -hmm. She was picked off a pile and she was a bag of bones and she became a therapist and she's written books and she gives lectures and she's older than me. So we need to have role models of yeah. people who have made choices. She chose life. She chose life. And we wow. have to, and I know you've had your tough moments. I loved your book. And I, I grieved with you when you grieved for your mother. And I grieve with my patients when they talk about their losses and the traumas that they have suffered and the disappointments. And yet I think I know inside that we can all recover. I don't know how I know that. Yeah. I see I, it every day. I see that every day we can all recover, we can all grow, and we need to take care of ourselves and choose life. I love that. I'm so glad you said that three times because I need to be reminded that, you know, life really is, in fact, a gift, even though we might complain, right, about the imperfections of others. It's still, I always, you know, one of the things that I have said this many times is my favorite is Mary Oliver's quote, living a conscious life, pay attention, be astonished and tell about it. And when I bring, choose life into that, what you just said yeah. and visualizing the bag of bones on top of the bones and you're like, oh my God, oh my trauma. God. right. Right. Trauma is a thing. Trauma is a thing. We we have trauma, and I understand what that is. It was it's debilitating at times. It's it's really paralyzing. But when you find people like Dr. D in sacred space who honor the authentic you, when you can be vulnerable, which would thank God I had that. You know, we can get through that. We can recover. It's not hopeless. It's filled with hope, which is what you said at the outset. Your wish is to bring hope to people who may not feel like there is hope. So one of the beautiful things I, I, I'm gonna take from this is choose life. And you know, I have to go on and say, I get more, one more final inspiration from you tonight because I, first of all, feel more alive than I did when I got on the call with you. Certainly that is your vitality and your truth coming through. We won't be well-behaved women together, Judy. I'll mark yes. with you every day of the week for sure. But give us another final inspiration so that we can take it with us tonight on this beautiful full moon. Go outside and look at the moon and make a wish about life and what you want from it and how you're grateful for it. Beautiful. What we have to do is just embrace our imperfections. Oh. Our imperfections are opportunities to grow. I love it. I love it. You heard that here. Our imperfections are our opportunities to grow. Embrace it. And I'm going to show in the stream again, our beautiful book side by side, 
this is judy's the girl in the red boots the butterfly awakens so with red boots and butterflies let's go embrace our imperfections and let's all grow out there in this world because they need each of us to wake up and experience life changing our stories to choose better ones choose life judy this has been such an incredible honor to have you on my show tonight you Thank are you. so much fun it's been so much fun i've loved being with you invite me back i'll come I, back. oh my god can i can i can i <laughs> i will i will absolutely and you know i i do want to say this i want people to go out there and get your book because i know it was a wonderful experience to read it for myself and i definitely love this woman as well even though we don't know each other super well i am really really grateful that you are in the circle of my influence and my people um once again please tell the audience where they can get your book so that they can grab a copy today and support you and give a great review after you've read it my god you're going to want to Give a great review and write me a letter. And then when you write me an email, then I'll write you back and I'll ask you to endorse my book on all my, all the different sites or mainly just Amazon. Anyway, you can buy the, you can go to my website. It's my website is my name, Judith Ruske Rabinor, PhD, UK.com. You can buy the book on Amazon. You can buy the book at an independent bookstore and there are a lot of links where you can buy the book on my website where you can just, as you see the name up here, just put it in the, in the browser and you'll come up with one of your favorite places to buy books. And she has her other two books too. So if you're looking for some inspiration around marriage, divorce, also eating disorders, she has other, other wonderful titles once again, that you can read and, and get some information. And certainly you can go see her online, go watch her show with Oprah. It's great. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And also with Sally, that was wonderful. That's on her webpage. So you could pop over there and check it out. You it's guys. Yeah. This, this is a September to remember. I am happy to have Judy with me tonight. Sweet inspiration, everybody. Go get inspired and breathe life into your world. Wish you well, all of you. It's time to live the life your, of your dreams. Once again, my favorite thing to end. Thank you, Judy, for your time. And, for and your thank presence. you, Meg, for this wonderful opportunity. You're amazing. You are. And we're all deliberate creators of our lives. So let's dream big and let our positive vibrations on this planet light the world up let ourselves be love and love ourselves exactly where we are and it's time to wake up and go live the life of your dreams so good night everybody and we'll see you guys soon take care good night everybody and thank you again meg